Shelly Niece is in the house. Author Shelly Niece. How are you, Shelly? Hi, good. Thanks for having me. It is a real pleasure having you. I'm already going to show everybody right right at the outset what they're in for, because this is unbelievable stuff. Thank you. Unbelievable. All right, everyone, look at this. This is the book. This is the book. The Copper <laughs> Scroll Project. First, where do they buy it? Everywhere that you buy books. Everywhere you buy... Great. Amazon, whatever, Barnes & Noble, um, bookstores, hopefully. All right. So now you know where to buy the book. Everywhere. Now we're going to talk about why you're going to be buying the book. Mm -hmm. What? Okay. Now, even I, I'm familiar with the Temple Mount. Right here, we're in Jerusalem, right? Mm -hmm. I go, I go, I love taking my kids down to the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea area for the water, for the, for the hikes, everything. I've actually never been to the Qumran, mm -hmm. but we, I know what the Dead Sea Scrolls are. Mm -hmm. Never heard of the Copper Scrolls. What is, the, what, what are the Copper Scrolls and why did you write a book about the Copper Scroll Project? And then I'm going to follow up. You don't have to answer it all now, but I'm already putting it all out there. What is the connection with secrets about the Temple Mount? Like whoa! Is this is, is this is this a, is this a fiction? Is this is this a novel? What what are we what are we looking at here? So go right. for it, Shelley. Right. So I always have to start off on just what is the Copper Scroll because even though I mean it'll blow your mind what it actually is and that you haven't heard of it, but I think just for a long time people didn't know what to do with it because the Copper Scroll is one of the Dead Sea Scrolls. There's 800 or so Dead Sea Scrolls, much of them fragmentary, so literally thousands of fragments of Dead Sea Scrolls. But the Copper Scroll is written on copper. All the others are on papyrus or leather. Right. In fact, it's not only the only metal Dead Sea Scroll, it's the only metal ancient document ever wow. that we have. So it's about seven feet long. It has is written in 12 columns. It's about a foot and a half wide. So we imagine that it was once hammered up on a wall. It was some sort of plaque in, a, in an area. But... We know that the Dead Sea Scrolls were hidden on the eve of the destruction of, you know, when the Romans destroyed the, the temple. temple. Right. So the idea is that the Copper Scroll dates to the same time period as the Dead Sea Scrolls. So it was all before the destruction of the Second Temple. So the idea is, is that just like Jews hid their precious scrolls in their ancient library in the caves surrounding Qumran, at some point they also hid the Copper Scroll while they were holding the, hiding the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Copper Scroll is pointing to the temple treasury. It's pointing to items from the, the second temple, possibly even the first temple, but let's say the second temple. And so th that's what the Copper Scroll is, but for a long time people didn't know what to do with it because it doesn't offer us anything. It's a really boring scroll to just read on its so own. So I, I just want to hold on that point for yeah. a second because you, just, you just, just... It's an ancient treasure map. It's, it's a 2,000-year-old ancient treasure map. Did you, did you just hear what she's saying? It's an ancient treasure map. And it's real. I mean, you can look at the Wikipedia Copper Scroll and, you know, Wait, is it blank is ancient it, treasure. So it, you mean it's, ex, it's accepted knowledge that this Copper Scroll, and again, do you guys get this? You're talking about a 2,000-year-old scroll written on copper, hence called the Copper mm -hmm. Scrolls. So, and, and again, from reading, I didn't finish the book, sure. but I started the book. And, uh, and obviously experts say the fact that it's something written on copper instead of the regular papyrus scroll means that it was important. Super important. Yeah. And to me, what's interesting, too, is that the handwriting is hurried. The handwriting isn't good. There's really? mistakes in it. There's, you know, instead of using a nun sofit when they should, they use a regular nun. There's, there's spelling mistakes. So 
the indication is that this wasn't a perfect scribe that was chiseling the copper scroll. They were in a hurry. They were in a rush. They rolled it up. It, originally, it was one copper scroll. It snapped in two when they were rolling it up. So when the archaeologists found it, it was two, two. separate rolls. And so uh, all scholars agree that it's a real authentic document because otherwise, why would it exist? It has no literary value. It has no biblical value. It's not telling you know the tale of some ancient hero. It's a list. It's an inventory. And so why would they go to so much trouble to write an ancient list with no legendary value, no literary value? It has to be real. So scholars really don't debate on whether or not it's an authentic document. The real debate comes in what exactly is it pointing to? Where did the treasure come from and where is it now? Wait, what, and can you give us a hint? What is written, What has been deciphered to be written in it that makes some experts think that it's this treasure map to the temple uh, articles that, sure. that, that you write about? So it's over 60 locations written in 12 columns. So it's a verbal treasure map. It's not like a pirate treasure map. And whenever it describes things, it will... You do it very dryly, but it always has, it'll point you to a place that'll say in Matias courtyard or under the cistern or at the steps pointing eastward 40 cubits. So it'll give you very specific directions. And then next of, of each of the over 60 places, it'll tell you how deep to dig. Really? The depth that you need wow. to dig. And then it'll tell you what you'll find. Now, the tricky part is the finding part because it'll always mention talents of gold and silver or vessels. It doesn't always say, it doesn't use temple furniture language. It's not saying Ark of the Covenant or Altar of Incense, but it uses holy language a lot. So a lot of times it'll say sacred tithes or one time it does say my priestly vestments and it uses, really? it uses the personal yud behind priestly vestments indicating that the person who might have inscribed it was, was a priest. his wow yes so there are some very specific temple related items but otherwise it's a more of an adjective thing that it you know it'll use sacred holy or sanctified tithes a lot of times so really though why we know it must or why a lot of scholars think it's connected to the temple is because there's no other place it could have been connected to because it's copious amounts of gold and silver if Talent in the copper scroll, which is about 75 pounds, means or that's how we estimate it to be today. Then it's 160 tons of gold, silver, and bronze of wow. what the copper scroll is pointing towards. The only place that would have had that kind of wealth is the temple. Wow. And so now I want to go into you. you from what I understood, you've spent 10 years writing this book, like researching working on it right and 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 uh, again from the little i read mm -hmm. there's a big not, not mystery tale but a bit of adventure mm -hmm. in following up in getting the information about these copper scrolls and checking out if it really is a treasure uh, map this literary treasure map why why did you spend 10 years of your life on this project to write this book that you all have to buy. Thank you. That's very sweet. So I didn't, I didn't intend to, you know, I didn't have an ambition to write any book, but sometimes stories find you and this story found me. So originally I just wrote an article. I met Jim Barfield. He's the, the explorer who is, believes that he solved the Copper Scroll. So I met him that he at what, a conference. That he what? That he, oh, that he, he solved. solved the he, meaning scroll. that he figured out that it is a treasure map. Right. Got it. Okay. Or that he's figured out where the locations are. Oh, he figured out where the, okay. Yes. And so he's really been on this journey for about 10 years. And so when I first met him, I thought the world needs to know about the Copper Scroll. This is, this is a cool story. He's a, 
retired arson investigator in Oklahoma. He Makes applied, sense. He applied certain skills to the Copper Scroll, wow. came up with a solution, and had a meeting with the Israel Antiquity Authority and had an excavation within the year. So just that very first story that happened out in 2009, I wrote about it for Jerusalem Post. It became a little bit of a longer story, and I wrote about it for Jerusalem Post Metro Edition, which allows you to go 3,000 words. And then at a certain point, I realized as the years went on and as the story grew and the human right. element grew, I thought, um, this story is so good. A monkey could write this story and I'm not going to let someone else be that monkey. <laughs> I'm going to write this story because I could tell, you know, that the, all of the bits and the pieces were growing and we were getting closer to actually resolving this issue. But also Jim Barfield is, is not Jewish. He's Gentile. And and then other Jewish leaders were getting involved because they heard about what he was doing and what he was holding up. And and so it was the human piece that became so interesting to me, too. Because I think in the beginning, nobody really wants to write about archaeology, a book, over a 10-year period. Because what if you don't find anything? I mean, it's a kind of a career killer if right. you write about... If you bring people True. along this 100,000-word journey and right. you're not going to find anything in right. the end. But at a certain point, I realized... No, this story is good by itself, even if we don't find anything. Right. Now, spoiler alert. Okay. There is a cliffhanger. I, we do have a positive scan. Okay. Um, and so that's that's all part of the book, and we can get to that later if you want. But anyway, so so that was that was the motivating driving factor. I wanted to be the monkey that wrote a story so good. <laughs> now, you mentioned Jim is not Jewish, but the right. other Jews got involved. But what's your story? Are you Jewish? So I'm Christian. I work for a Christian Zionist organization in D.C. I moved to Israel in 2000. And so when we when we came, you know, that was right before Camp David was happening. Negotiations right. were happening. Barack was it. So it was, a, it was a different feel, a different time. My mother was okay with me coming. It seemed like peace was upon us. And then so... Right. So that was, I believe, August of 2000. And so the second Intifada breaks out. I had been a math and science major before we moved here. And all of a sudden, I just, I, I, I didn't move here because I was particularly interested in Israel. We moved here. My husband and I had just got married, and it felt like a fun adventure. But I had to know what was happening around me. I had to know why bombs were going off, why, you know, Jewish history, I didn't really understand. Ottoman history, certainly not Jewish history and all of the things about the land. So I just only took those classes, only wow. took the classes that could answer my questions and kind of accidentally by the end graduated um, in Middle Eastern studies. Oh, accidentally. Yeah. <laughs> Just by following, following your, the, your passions and following the wanting answers to the questions. Right. But of course, in that process, living in Israel during that time, yeah. seeing my Jewish friends suffer in this way, being at a Passover Seder dinner, and then all of a sudden hearing the news, having to turn on the television and break that sacred moment to hear right. the news about what happened. I mean, I right, right. She let me know. Shelley yes. is referring to one of the the worst terror attacks that took place during that second intifada. I was here in the country at the time, uh, 2002, Passover 2002, and uh, a suicide bomber went into a uh, a dining room where families were sitting and eating at a hotel in the hotel lo uh, dining room Lots and of blew elderly up people. elderly whole families, mm -hmm. uh, whole chunks of families killed on the spot in what was supposed to be a holiday celebration and and it was a national tragedy which was the tipping point that finally that finally um uh, convinced prime minister ariel sharon to go into a uh, military um operation to end the terror coming out of uh, judea and samaria the west bank at the time
So yeah, that, yeah, wow. So you so when I that. left Israel, I just I, I I I went and worked for a Christian Zionist organization doing advocacy. I mean, I just I wanted people to be educated and on what I saw, and really thinking that a lot of Christians have an instinct to be pro-Israel. You know, they connect to Israel because of the Bible, but they're not educated and and they're not activated for Israel. Right. So wanting to play a part in that process. Wow. Well, first, so first of all, thank you so much for wanting to take part in that process and still do, still doing that. And, uh, and thank, and thank you for, thank you for the book, but that still doesn't answer the question. Why, why was this book important for you to write? Right. Well, so, I mean, archeology, span I feel like has informed my own faith. And so part of the urge was just to study. I mean, I guess a lot of these questions comes back to my urge to study, but to be able to study first century Jerusalem was important to me. I wow. mean, as a Christian, to be able to understand like the world that Jesus was inhabiting, but also for rabbinic Judaism and right. as Judaism now, it's just such an important time and piece of our history. So part of that is to go to the Dead Sea Scrolls and study the Dead Sea Scrolls. But the Copper Scroll in its own unique way shines light on that because you have to go into an imaginative place of what were the conditions that the Jewish people or priests felt so desperate to enact this covert operation to, to hide and then and then write a treasure map for right to put all of their right. sacred text inside caves and so it just it created a more imaginative place for me to go to through archaeology and through the Dead Sea Scroll text and the Copper Scroll particularly to understand my own roots of my faith and also mm. to understand Judaism better and just this really, really critical time that has ended up affecting us for 2,000 years. Yeah. So mostly I want the book to be a teaching tool. It was a teaching tool for me in writing it. It's a book about archaeology but it's written by a lay person for lay people. I assume it's not boring. It's not a boring archaeology book at all. All right. So that's so for sure. No, it's, it's, it's very, just from the first chapter, it's very riveting. It bring it brings you in. It brings the story to, it brings the story, the, the process that you were going through, right? Mm -hmm. She went through this process. You're not just writing about an outside process. You were going through this, right? So yeah, definitely an, an exciting and exciting book to read. Can you share one of the interesting stories that came out that, that you write about in the book? Choose sure. anyone, whatever you want. Okay, sure. Well, so there was a lot of stops and starts and you know as you probably already know archaeology is an incredibly political process here in israel and also bureaucratic yes. so just there was bureaucratic quicksand there was political pit stops and so so much was you know moving two steps forward and five steps backwards right, I hear you. so we did reach an impasse at one point that all we wanted to do we had dug in 2009 and realized that we really needed more technology that that the Copper Scroll says to dig so deep and at such deep levels, especially with another 2,000 years of sand on the, uh, right. that has come in. So 2,000 years of sand. It just, just to think about that. So we, on average, we're probably going to have to dig 12 feet just to probe for certain locations in the Copper Scroll. Right. And, and by the way, this is at Qumran that we're talking about. Jim Barfield's right. research points to Qumran as being the place, which is very logical. And he's not the first one to right. say that Qumran's connected to the Copper Scroll. He's the first one to say that all 60 locations are at Qumran. Uh -huh. And so, and the first to, to really pursue it, to pursue the Copper Scroll, to seeing it being tested through the end. And so it became very clear in 2009 that it would make, the Qumran's a sacred site as it is, and you don't want to make pockmarks all throughout it in probes that right. are 12 feet deep. Plus, 
archaeologists are uncomfortable with it. That's not archaeology. That's treasure hunting. Archaeology, right. you dig to the last level of habitation. Right. Treasure hunting, you dig 12 feet deep right. to follow a treasure right. map that told you to. For those, for those not familiar, when you're an archaeologist or an archaeological dig, you're basically digging with a toothbrush. Yes. Okay, one, one, one milliliter at a time. A, so, a right, sister. to drink, to, to dig 12 feet down, that is a big no-no in it's archaeological terms. Right. Everything. And so they would really risk their own reputation. And so it got to that point, and so we really needed a high-power metal detector, which the Israel Antiquities Authority didn't have access to, or at least didn't, didn't tell wasn't you. forthcoming about it. Right. And so, so that began this process of finding the right metal detector, which really took years to find and, wow. and to wait out the technology and also find the right metal detector. Wow. Because not only we need to tell if we're looking at ferrous or non-ferrous metals, because we, we, we know that the Copper Scroll is pointing to gold, silver, or bronze. We're not caring about rebar right. at Qumran or, you know, any, we don't want false positives. And we also need it to tell the difference if it's a large or a small object. We did try and scan once with the tiny Israeli Antiquities Authority detector, and it was picking up the, the steel toe of the archaeologist's boots. You know, <laughs> we're like, we're looking for giant amounts of treasure. This isn't going to work. So we had a cube-shaped metal detector, and it, it, could, it, it could differentiate for all of those things. So basically, we wanted, we wanted it to tell us, is it large? Is it gold, silver, or bronze? And is it deep? Because if so, that would connect it to the Copper Scroll. Right. And so we tried to get a permit for from the Israel Antiquities Authority or, or from the, the Judea and Samaria Antiquities Authority. And we tried to get a permit to make this happen. And they were very resistant towards it for reasons that they wouldn't really explain. And so this is just a spoiler alert. I mean, I'm just going to... Go for okay. it. Okay. <laughs> so if she doesn't mind, how am I going to be? I know. How am I going to be against it? So this is totally going to... This is this is where the book starts and ends, but it's too okay. exciting not to share with you. So I'm sure you're familiar with member of Knesset, Moshe Faglin, or former yes. member of Knesset. Yes, He was just here in this seat a few days ago. No way. Yes. Did you talk to him about this? No, it was before I met you. Oh, I really... I met you the next day. I re Okay, you got to have him back. But so is there any... He's, he's a very gutsy guy. Very gutsy guys. So yes. we were at a total impasse. The Israel Antiquities Authority had said no to this permit. We have a $10,000 metal detector that we are dying to use on Qumran, and we are not. We do not have permission to use it at Qumran. Right. And so we shared this story with Moshe Faglin. He was in New York at the time. This was when he was a member of Knesset. And so and so his, his political party has a meeting in New York, I believe, that was annually. And so I thought it would be helpful to meet with him, and I encouraged Jim Barfield to meet with him. And so that was the only part that I was pulling the puppet strings a right. little bit. If I just thought, right. here are two people that I think could connect and talk about this. I meant for Moshe Faglin to help us get in contact with the education minister or to pull a to few get permission. Strings. Just help us share the word. She doesn't. She people. didn't know Moshe yet. That's why. Yeah. And once he found out that we happened to be, or Jim Barfield was coming to Israel the next right. month, I watched. I, I I was watching the gears going, and he said do you have the metal detector in Israel? And we said, yes, not, not knowing what he was about to offer. And he said, I have Knesset immunity. Bring the metal detector. I'll meet you at Qumran. Unbelievable. And, and that's exactly what he did. We went, Jim Barfield, Moshe Faglin went to Qumran in the, in tourist hours. Right. He paid for his ticket to go in. He walked in with a metal detector and a bag and he scanned six of the 60 sites. You know, we just wanted to scan. According to the information in the Copper According. Scrolls, deciphered from the... Unbelievable. Yes, and, and so... And 
for the record, Jim Barfield wasn't pressing the buttons. <laughs> Moshe Peglin, with his Knesset immunity, was doing the scan. And, um, and, and, and it's not, it's not the type of metal detector that will give you an immediate response. You right. have to go and download it on a computer and there's a special software to be able to read it. So they didn't know in that moment if what, if they were getting a positive read, it wasn't like an immediate right. it wasn't gratification later. that way. So they, Moshe Faglin drives back to Jerusalem and says, call me when you know the results. Jem Barfield goes down to En Gedi, downloads the information in his laptop and what he sees when he opens up in the computer, it, there was six sites scanned. For five of the six, there was a positive read. For one of the six, it was like a read of Fort Knox. Meaning like off the charts? Yes. Wow. And a place that should not have any human activity at all, much less gold, silver, and bronze. So that's where we stand now, and we've kept that secret for a couple of years. That happened a couple of years ago, and we tried. We got ourselves in a situation, though, because he was no longer a member of Knesset. We didn't want to get Moshe Faglin in trouble. We didn't want to get an archaeologist in trouble who we have relationships right. with because they weren't involved, and we didn't want to implicate them or, or hurt their licensing at all. And so it was a problem because we had information you couldn't go public with it. That we couldn't go public with and that stood to hurt all of us. I mean, I still don't know how it will affect all of us, but my idea was that the book would just... Put it out there for everybody. Put it out there. Not leak it, because that would be dangerous for right. us, but just just blanket message the, you know across Israel to build a grassroots movement of let's test it. There's no harm in testing. I'm not even test. I'm not even talking about about the sites within Qumran. There's one right outside of Qumran. Let's do that one. Right. And and we can go from there. But let's do that one. So There's you're really saying. No so basically, you're saying hopefully with the publication of this book and this information being public, not leaked, not not uh, uh, whatever, but but public, so mm -hmm. everyone knows that hopefully it will bring bring about the understanding and or public pressure, so to speak, to then allow for the actual digs to go forward mm -hmm. to dig this stuff out and, and continue and check the other sites as well. Absolutely. All right. So I'm sure Israel Antiquities, you're all watching this video <laughs> right now. Contact Shelly. Let's make this happen. <laughs> we'll send you the scans. <laughs> That's quite a story, unbelievable. Right, right. And and again, as someone, uh, I like to call um, I like to call myself like uh, an old uh, an old new Jew. Mm -hmm. I think you heard me yesterday speaking speaking to the group in a day and age where uh, Jews should be proud of our identity, should be proud of our culture, should be proud of our return, the mirac our miraculous return to our to our homeland. And therefore, the the Temple Mount is something that is, has very big significance mm -hmm. to me and to what I believe is a cornerstone of our Jewish identity. Not to be embarrassed by it, not to ignore it, but to accept it and to own it. Mm -hmm. And what excites me is an ancient secret fuels the battle for the Temple Mount. It's like wow, that definitely touches touches a chord with me and touches a chord. So hopefully. Uh, excite hopefully with your book maybe other Jews can be there that 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 spark within them can be kindled to maybe maybe help grow their connection with our holiest site which has which has been lost that connection has been lost mm -hmm. um, for good or for bad most Jews today think the Western Wall is holy and that's our holiest place but no that's just a retaining wall of the Temple Mount mm -hmm. it's the Mount it's the temple that was on top it's the that's the holy that's the holy site for us the, t the, the Western Wall is just 
the closest we could get, that we were allowed to get to mm-hmm. for, for centuries. So thank you so much for, for spending your time on this book, for writing this book. Any, any final insight, comment, thought you can share with us? Just, I just want to make it clear that our motivations for being involved, for Jim Barfield, for my own, you, you know, this is for Israel. This is to remind Israel of who she is. The way we see it, these Copper Scroll treasures, this is Israel's dowry. And if we can play a part uh-huh. in returning it, we want to. But, you know, th- there's, no, there's no ulterior motives here other than that and just seeing these things be returned to Israel. Well, since the whole Jewish people basically put me in this place to interview you, I'll say thank you on behalf of all of us. There you go. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. A pleasure meeting you. you May God continue to bless you in, every, in all your endeavors, whether for Israel, for the Jewish people, with your advocacy, or in anything you, uh, you're involved in thank in life. You, and. Uh, it was a pleasure meeting you, Shelley. You too. All right, everyone. Shalom from Jerusalem. If you haven't bought the book yet while you are watching, here it is. Go to Amazon or any uh, website where you can buy or any, any store. The Copper Scroll Project by Shelley Nice. Shalom from the ancient ancestral capital of the Jewish people, the modern city of Jerusalem. Take care, everyone. Thanks for watching. Pulse of Israel. Frontline videos from the Holy Land. Support our work by donating today.